Please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. And y'all, we are almost there. The end is near. Next week we'll wrap up our time in Galatians. This beautiful letter that is rich in its explanation of gospel grace and indeed scandalous freedom that that grace brings. Freedom so scandalous that some of you are still struggling to to wrap your hearts and your minds around it, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That grace that brings freedom is also the grace that transforms. It's a package deal. And as we've neared the end of the letter, we've seen Paul get more and more practical. that, That doesn't water down the freedom, but he is becoming more and more descriptive about the changes and the transformation that that grace brings. And so we've talked recently of being led by the Spirit, of walking by the Spirit, of keeping in step with the Spirit. We saw last week uh, of, of bearing burdens. And one very important example of bearing burdens from last week is restoring others caught in sin. And so this week we're going to continue in, in the broad theme of, of bearing burdens. But we're going to notice that Paul changes his language just a little bit. He's been speaking a lot of spirit and of flesh. And as he's done so, he's used the language of, of the battle or of a fight, of how the spirit and the flesh are constantly uh, in a battle, in a fight. This week, we've got a, another metaphor where he speaks of sowing and of reaping. And so in a very agriculturally-minded uh, society, it would have been very easy for folks to understand exactly what Paul was saying when he spoke of sowing and reaping. All right, I don't want to waste any time. I want us to jump right in. We've got lots to deal with in these uh, five verses or so. So stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, the very words of God. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. May God continue to bless the hearing and the teaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Galatians. Thank you for your apostle Paul. Thank you for his willingness to painstakingly make sure that we get the gospel right. That we don't add to it. Thank you for that. Help us this morning as we reach the end of this letter. As we talk of sowing and of reaping. Help us not to lose sight of where that sowing and where that reaping flows from. Help us to keep that 
connected. Father, I pray that you show us Jesus in these verses. That you show us our utter dependence on him. And in doing so, we would cling to him more tightly. And he would be exalted higher and higher. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. So there's an outline again in your worship folder that will help you follow along. And this big theme of sowing and reaping. And and I want us to look at it on two different levels. Sort of the macro, big picture. What's this principle all about? What can we expect from it? But then also uh, to boil it down a little bit to the brass tacks. More of a micro view on what that Uh, what we should actually be sowing and what we can expect to reap. But before we can get to those two layers or or levels, Paul starts right off with an example of sowing that we need to consider in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. I think I like this verse. Um, there's some good stuff here. Uh, one who is taught the word. Well, that's you. Okay. And Paul makes a pretty important assumption here. He assumes that the one being taught will place a high value on that instruction. So do you? Do you place a high value on being taught the Word? Why should you? Just think about the Galatian context for a moment. Y'all, it's easy to be led astray. It's easy to hear the gospel and very quickly depart. It's easy to be led astray, if not by false teachers, then by self-deception. Right? That's, that's a prominent theme in the scriptures, right? The heart's deceitful. It will lead us away. We saw even last week in verse 3. Right, of thinking you're something when you're not, you deceive yourself, Paul says. So because of the fall, we are so prone to self-deception. So false teachers can lead us astray. We can lead ourselves astray. And don't forget that we've also got an enemy who himself would love to lead us astray. He would love to see us falter and flounder in our faith. And we need to be brought back again and again to this sure and firm foundation that the Word is for us. We should value being instructed from it. And when you value it, you should pay up. Well, it's not exactly how Paul words it, is it? He says share. Now the Greek word here is worth noting. Many of you are familiar with the Greek word koinonia, right? Y'all had koinonia groups here, right? They're your small groups. So this, this Greek word that is, that is for the fellowship that Christians have 
with each other, right? It's something that's deeper than worldly friendship. It's something special, and it includes this aspect of sharing, of sharing all things. And so Paul says share, and when he says share, he's using the verb form of that word koinonia. So he's saying, I want you to koinoneo, the one who teaches you the word. And y'all, that's rich. And it has a lot to say about healthy, biblical relationships between a church and her pastor. Because no, you're not paying up. You're not paying a minister for services rendered. It's helpful that you not think about your pastor as staff, as a, as a hired hand, someone for whom you say, all right, you get X number of dollars for doing your duty. No, your pastor is your brother in Christ. A member of your household of faith. And because he's the, the main one teaching you the word, and, and because you've come to value that, and you've come to realize how desperately you need it, how desperately you need to be taught from it week in and week out, and reminded of the gospel, and encouraged to keep on keeping on, you gladly share with him. You you koinoneo him. And this act of sharing in this context that Paul is giving us, this act of sharing is sowing. Right? This is Paul's first example of sowing that he's about to go more in depth about. When you share with the one who teaches you the word, you're not simply paying. Right? You're not taking your money and spending it as in once you spend it, it's gone. No, you're, you're sowing it. You're investing it. You're putting it in the ground and you expect something to spring up as a result. Do you think of it like that? i got to tell you, I was so glad that as I approached this verse and considered teaching it and preaching it to you, that I didn't approach it with the least bit of awkwardness or concern or dread about how I might present it to you, of thinking, ooh, this might be awkward, because it's not. Because i got to tell you, I've got, I've got no beef with Trinity's sharing with me and with our family, right? It, it's generous, both in terms of, of salary and, and benefits, but also in terms of, the, of, of the, the random, occasional sharing that goes on. So many of you do. We are blessed by you all. And, and so I, I didn't have to approach this verse with an agenda of, all right, got to stick it to him here, um, or of, of awkwardness. But neither do I want to bypass what Paul is trying to do here. right? Because look at these verses. He's giving a command, share, and he's giving a warning right on the heels of that. Verse 7, don't be deceived. 
God is not mocked. So now why would Paul go straight from this command to share to a warning about not being deceived? So let me ask you a question. When it comes to this sharing with teachers of the word, with your teacher of the word, the question is, are you participating in this sharing? Yes, the the church as a body is doing a fine job, right? But are you a part of that sharing? See, there's there's a real danger for you if you're not. Now, thankfully, I am blissfully unaware of who gives what around here, right? And and that's a good thing. My my sinful heart could not handle that knowledge, right? I'd be sidling up to some of y'all, brown-nosing, right? And I'd be giving the stink eye to some of y'all, right? But I don't know, okay? I don't know. But God does. God does. And the question that you need to wrestle with, if you're not participating in this sharing, is why? Do you not value being taught the Scriptures? Does it not feel like a need to you, right? You, you, know, you know everything you need to know already. Or are you mocking God? And, and, and literally the term here is, is turning your nose up at. Are, are you turning your nose up at God thinking that you can sow disobedience, right? Not doing what you know God has called you to do, what is clearly expressed in Scripture. You're thinking, I can get away with not doing that. I can sow disobedience here, and and I'm pretty sure I'll reap something else other than what I've sown. Friends, be careful. Don't be deceived. Now, with that example out of the way, Let's look big picture, macro picture of sowing and reaping. At the heart of this principle, verse 7, you reap whatever it is that you sow, right? Super basic, right? Not rocket science. You cannot sow one thing and expect something else, anything else, at harvest time, right? If you plant lima beans... Don't expect three months later to be eating corn. Okay? Very simple. What you put into the ground is what you're going to eventually get out of the ground. And verse 8 gets a little more specific. So two very different types of sowing and reaping. There is sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. And so again, Paul has traded his battleground metaphor for the farmland And and there are multiple ways to think about sowing and reaping, and they're all helpful. But let me give you this first one. Just let me get you to think about this, because when we hear flesh or sowing to the flesh, we instantly think, oh, evil deeds. 
sowing to the flesh must mean being naughty, right? Murder, fornication, gluttony, gossip, right? Those are the types of things that definitely yield corruption, right? But we're looking at Galatians in context, okay? Think about the reason that Paul wrote it. What's he trying to combat? Were the Galatians an especially evil bunch? No, that's the Corinthians, right? This should no longer come as a shock to you, though some of you still don't like it. But we've seen it now quite a few times. It is just as possible to reap corruption from the good deeds that you do as from the bad. Remember, there are two ways to run from God, right? Obviously, through irreligion, right? Obviously, through breaking all the rules, through seeking pleasure for your flesh. But you can also run from God through religion. You can also run from God by trying to keep all the rules, by using your flesh to perform for God, either trying to earn your salvation or keep your salvation, maintaining your favor with God. Y'all, we might be doing the very best things out there. We might be able to say, nobody is better at being good than I am. But if we are trying to earn anything with our goodness that can only be purchased for us by the finished work that Jesus did, then we are sowing seeds of corruption and not eternal life. And so broadly speaking about flesh and spirit here, Right? One is, is temporal, it's temporary. The other is eternal. One is man-centered, and the other is God-honoring and glorifying. One says, I can do it. And the other says, Jesus has finished it and only he could do it. So, sowing to the flesh, whether in seeking pleasure or in trying to Come up with one's own righteousness. The end is the same. Corruption, destruction, decay. But to sow to the Spirit in total dependence upon what Jesus has done, the benefits of which the Spirit applies to us, right? that's the type of sowing that yields eternal life. Now, even having it phrased like that might make some of you a little uncomfortable. Talking about reaping eternal life as a result of what we sow. You say, wait a minute, I, I, thought, I thought eternal life was a gift. And it is. See, I think the problem comes in when we think of eternal life too narrowly. As something that starts when we die... And is just simply living forever. Right? Just the absence of, of death. 
All right, but the Bible's pretty clear that eternal life begins at the moment of our conversion. And it's not merely the absence of death. It is a fuller, more robust living. It is complete and full. And so Jesus, when he was praying for us, basically, to the Father, recorded in John 17, this is how he started his prayer. When when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you. That they know you. See, when you know the Father, there's a fullness there uh, of joy, uh, of peace, uh, of hope, uh, of assurance. That's the eternal life that we reap when we sow to the Spirit. So, uh, we've got to remember this this broad principle of, of sowing and reaping. And we need to heed this warning that we saw in verse 7. Right? Don't allow yourselves to be deceived here. Don't think you can turn your nose up at God and get away with it. You can't sow to the flesh, either for pleasure or by means of your own performance. You can't sow to the flesh and reap anything except corruption and destruction. Right? And so let this move us then into a, a narrower look at sowing and reaping. Right? Zoom in, if you will, with me at the brass tacks of this, we are constantly sowing. All day long, every day, we are sowing. We're either sowing bad seed to the flesh or we're sowing good seed to the Spirit. So think about these seeds. Our, our thoughts, our words, our actions, right? They're all seed. They all go into the ground and they will come up later. All right, so, so be careful Right, that, that grudge that you're carrying, that, that lustful thought that you're allowing to linger in your mind, the, the self-pity that you're wallowing in, the doubt and the fear that you keep feeding by playing over and over again in your mind every imaginable scenario you can come up with. They're all seeds. Don't be deceived. There's a harvest coming. Don't don't mock God by sowing one type of seed and expecting something else to spring from the ground. All right. Know, too, that there's good seed to be sown. There is a way to sow to the Spirit and reap an amazing, bountiful, abundant harvest all right so we need to think about what that would mean sowing to the spirit and and in thinking about what that means just remember two things think about who the spirit is and what the spirit does we talked about this back with the fruits of the spirit right think about who the spirit is what what does the bible say about the spirit calls him the spirit of christ the spirit of adoption our helper right And what does the Spirit do? Well, the Spirit reminds us. It calls to memory all the things that Jesus said and all that he did. That's that's the work of the Spirit. That's his job. 
So the Spirit reminds us that Jesus said, oh, he came to seek and save the lost. He reminds us that he said, oh, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. The Spirit reminds us of all that Jesus said and, and did, which is, which is all grace. It is all gospel grace. And so the Spirit's job is to remind us and reassure us of those things, of the grace that not only saves, but also transforms. Right? The grace of Jesus rescues people and then makes them new. And the Spirit's constantly reminding us of that fact. And so sowing to the Spirit, in a very real sense, is as simple as living like the new people that we've become. You remember the fruits of the Spirit back in chapter 5, right? We don't plant those things as seed, right? We don't cause those things to grow. That's the Spirit's work. It's His fruit, right? Fruit of the Spirit, not John Mark's fruit. But when we see it sprout, when we see that the Spirit is producing fruit in our lives, we need to take it and run with it. Live it out. When we see how Jesus' kindness and generosity has rescued and changed us, live it out. And that's what verses 9 and 10 are getting at. Right? This is not Christian karma. Though that's a very popular notion, right? This notion of karma, of, of, of doing good so that we'll get good in return. It's an awful popular concept, but y'all, that's at the core of many of the world's religions. Not Christianity. That, that notion of karma is flawed from the start because Christianity starts out with a bit of bad news. Right? We, we can't do good. We don't have the ability to do the good that we need to do in order for karma to work. We're broken because of the fall. And if we're honest, we are helplessly selfish deep down. Even the good that we would do is for our own benefit, oftentimes. That's what Jesus had to rescue us from. And he rescued us from that by showing us the greatest goodness that anyone has ever known. He laid down his life. And in doing so, he changes us our very natures, so that we're no longer the broken, selfish people we once were. He enables in us a new generosity, a new desire to share, to bear burdens, to do good, to love our neighbors in the same way that we love ourselves. Now note in, in verse 10 who the recipients of our doing good are supposed to be. Everyone. Everyone. And that could instantly be overwhelming, 
if it weren't also included with this phrase, as we have opportunity. And that's a merciful inclusion there, right? Because the needs around us, y'all, they're, they're overwhelming. If your eyes are open, it's easy to be overwhelmed by need. So how do we, where, where could we possibly begin? How is it possible that I might help everyone? Well, how about you start with the person standing in front of you? That'd be, a, that'd be a great place to start. Help the person standing in front of you, right? Do good to that guy. Help her. All right, now, as you do that, in your helping, don't forget your brothers and sisters in Christ. Make sure that you've helped them, especially them. Y'all, we are each other's First priority. That, that's solid biblical concept. And it might seem odd. Is that selfish for us to, to look after our own first? But if you think about it, it makes sense. I think it's kind of like when you're in the airplane, right? Let's say if the cabin loses pressure, oxygen masks are going to drop down. And what are you supposed to do first? Right? Put yours on. Right? Even though the inclination is to put it on your kids or the elderly person next to you, whatever. Put yours on first. Why? Because that's going to help you help the other people. Right? So why would we put each other first in doing good? Right? If, if we're trying to do good to those around us, and excluding our own, right? Very often we're, we're doing good to, to those around us in the hopes that they might join us, right? We're doing good very often uh, with an eye toward evangelism, with an eye toward seeing those folks included in our household of faith. But if we're out there doing good to them and they're looking back at our group and saying, um, you got a bunch of neglected folks over here, why, why would I want any part in that? Why would I want to come join your household of faith if you're not taking care of, of your own? They'll know that we belong to Christ because of the love that we show for each other. That's, that's the principle here. Now, one final word that we need, and that's hope. We need some encouragement here. Verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So there's this idea of growing weary, losing heart, growing faint, and possibly even throwing in the towel. Now, lots of reasons that that might happen. Um, first off, y'all, it, it's just hard work. It's hard work. Doing good to everyone as we have opportunity. Sharing, loving, bearing, right? It's, it's hard. We have to sacrifice of our time, of our energy, of our resources. And because it is hard work, that also makes it very countercultural, right? We're not going to find a lot of encouragement from the world around us when the world around us is all uh, look out for number one, every man for himself, 
And so we're swimming upstream. But perhaps the biggest reason that we might be discouraged and be tempted to, to give up, remember this is an agricultural metaphor. It is, it is sowing, it is reaping. And we talked a lot about this with the fruit of the Spirit a few weeks back. Well, it's a slow process when you plant seeds. You plant them and then you wait. And that's something we're not very good at. One of the, the commentators that I read this week was a Puritan. And he said, we're like little children when it comes to this. We would expect to sow and reap on the same day. And that's not how it works. So Paul says, in due season we will reap. But the most important part is, is the promise. The reason for hope is we will reap. We will. It is a promise to be claimed and to clung to be clung to. Right? It might not be when we expect it, perhaps not even in this life. But know for certain that a bountiful harvest awaits when we sow to the Spirit, when we sow in dependence upon the work that Jesus has finished for us. Rather than sowing either to the pleasure or the performance of our own flesh, oh friends, you don't have barns big enough for the harvest. Let's pray. Father, would you grant to us the hope out of that verse? Lord, it's, I feel almost silly trying to convey it to people. It's something that you can only deliver. And so do that, Lord. Deliver the hope, the comfort, the confidence, the assurance that your word is true and that your promises can be trusted. That we'll reap, if we sow to the Spirit, if we sow in dependence upon the work that Jesus has done and not our own, you're going to bring a harvest. It's going to be amazing. And we'll praise you for it. We do so now in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and let's sing in response.